Mr. Mark Selby, how are you, sir? Mr. Matthew Gordon, doing very, very well. I'm glad to hear it. You look like you're on the road again. I am. So yeah, last week uh, I was in London for LME week, uh, then uh, was uh, on a nickel panel uh, at the uh, US Stainless Steel Conference hosted by SMR. And then this week I am at the Stainless Stainless Fair Alloy Conference hosted by CRU. So on a panel as well, talking nickel this, uh, later this morning. Well, okay. Well, let's get into maybe some of the key takeaways from from the certainly last week. Um, but first, we better start with the kind of news of the market. You know, some people might be worried the nickel price has gone down again. Yeah, we called well, it, didn't we? We yeah. called it. We did. We did. Yeah. Well, it took well. It took a little longer to get there, but since the beginning of the year, we said that nickel needed a break down below twenty thousand. Uh, we've we got it uh, several weeks ago. You know, and as expected. It's now trading, you know, after being above 20,000 a ton for a while, it's now settling into an 18 to 19,000 ton range. Um, and we've had a few more thousand tons of, of nickel show up on the LME. Again, over the next six to eight weeks, you know, I do expect us to go down to 17,500 test support at that level. We should see another 10 to 20,000 tons of nickel come, come into the LME, maybe even a little more than that. Um, uh, but again, not, not, not worried about it, you know. As we get to year end, you're going to see EV demand reaccelerate. We've seen stainless steel production, you know, rebound quite strongly. You know, we're going to end 2023. <laughs> it is 2023. You know, with, with about nine to ten percent nickel demand growth. You know, again, you know, despite massive interest rate increases, despite all the troubles in China, despite you know, um, not quite as robust sales in the EV market. You know, we're still seeing you know these kind of growth rates, which are double. What most analysts have, so yeah, no, no worries. Um, we're going to have a, a little sell-off in the year end, and then we'll bounce back as the year ends, and then heading into uh, the first part of twenty twenty-four. Okay, so n- not wanting to overag this. Okay, we have been calling this for months. It is not a surprise to anyone listening to this show, or shouldn't be, because we've been signposting it right out of the gate. However, there are people that point to factors like China GDP like Indonesia about to ramp up and produce more nickel than the world could possibly consume. And other sort of, sort of kind of rash, broad, generic statements. So can we just uh, um, address that? You, you referenced China in there. So why is this why is this um, uh, inventory that's coming, you know, coming into market now, uh, why is that not going to continue and sustain uh, why is Indonesia not going to drown the market with with nickel? Um, so we, you know, we we talked extensively last week around this, you know, this this in process inventory gap that people are seeing these sur- counting these surpluses because they're failing to account for the fact that as you build out a new supply chain, you need in process inventory all the way through, and there's a precursor cathode battery steps before you get to a battery, you know, a, a battery going into a car, and so there's a substantial amount of in-process inventory that'll never come out, right? It's just what it needs to feed, what needs what needs to be there to make that supply chain work. And so, you know, we are in surplus and, and some of that metal is going to hit the LME uh, this week. But again, underlined, it's 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 the underlying de- demand growth. There, there was no analyst out there who had nine to 10% growth for the first three years of this decade in, in 2020. Um, and again, we're just getting into the nickel heavy demand growth in the EV sector. China, Europe, small cars, small distances, lithium iron phosphate, 100% fine for those applications. You know, we're now, you know, uh, Roll Motion just released their September 
2023 sales. And, and again, globally, not 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 huge numbers, 23% growth uh, year over year. Uh, but the key thing there is you had China up 33, EU and, and UK up 27, but the US and Canada up 60. You know, all of like not 80 to 90% of all those EV sales in, in Canada and the US are going to be for big cars and trucks, and they're all going to be nickel batteries. So the, you know, sort of the average amount of nickel per EV is going to, to you know, increase increase as we shift more of the global growth, you know, into the more nickel heavy markets. And again, the analysts aren't, aren't really accounting for that properly. So um, yes, we will see lots of supply from Indonesia, but it will be met with also very robust demand growth going forward. Right. And demand growth from both stainless steel yeah. and EV. We've, I think we you kind of covered the EV bit. Stainless steel, let's, let's talk about that China factor. If they're not building as much you know, is that, is that going to cause a problem? Well, again, we've seen double, like it's it's high, well, you know, in, into the mid-teens uh, stainless production growth year over year now in, in China. Rest of the world has come off a little bit. But uh, again, stainless steel is a high growth metal. It's not just China dependent. You know, it, it's a wonderful uh, high strength to weight material uh, that's highly recyclable. And, you know, it can, you know, underlying demand continues to grow. And 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 again, we're seeing that, that happen. Um, and it has a very wide range of uses, um, you know, which help underpin that, that demand story. So not expecting that to slow down anytime soon. Okay. So, and, and just let's, let's talk about a phrase we've, we've talked about a few times, which is about this great convergence, you know, sulfate and briquettes, et cetera. So again, what impact is that having? Yeah. So as we've been saying, you know, for, for 12 months now, you know, as these nickel refineries in Indonesia and China ramp up, we are going to see LME prices be relatively low, lower relative to where they would have otherwise been. But the massive discounts that we've seen in nickel pig iron and mat and so forth, you know, will continue to compress, you know, as we go into the rest of the year. Sulfate's back actually to about par with with briquettes. Part of that's briquettes price trading at a discount to the LME price, um, but also an improvement in, in sulfate prices. NPI discounts, they're still sizable, but they're shrinking. And again, you know, as the next six to 12 months wears on into 2024, we should see, which we should see that largely disappear, you know, by the end of next year. Okay. And I'm going to bring up something that, again, we've, we've talked about in, in numerous times, but because I I, got, I think I got trolled slightly uh, on, on Twitter oh. by someone talking about type one, type two. And I'm like, oh, uh, I know. And, but they're a research firm. So my response was, we don't talk about that anymore because it's it's not as relevant. But I appreciate your report. It was kind of the <laughs> gist of it. There we uh, go. So, but it just shows you that not everyone out there in the market reports to know about a, a space is into the weeds like we have been for the last three and a half years, Mark. Um, so, just just why give us the type one, type two um, discussion and where we can park it up and maybe even just touch upon Matt as well while you're there. Sure. So, yeah. So about five years ago, um, sort of people flagged the fact that most of the production coming from Indonesia was what's called class two. So it's not LME deliverable um, and it's used to make stainless steel and, and, and various alloys. Um, the they, they saw this basically two tier market and basically had declared that no laterite ore could ever make its way into the class one market. Um, completely ignoring the reality that Inco for 50 years uh, supplies mat from derived from laterite ore that goes to Sumitomo Metal Mining, who makes the world's best uh, nickel and high high purity nickel and cobalt products. Um, and so that that whole class one, class two, it was a short term thing. 
you needed capacity, you needed a way to be able to move those nickel units between those markets. It was only going to be a matter of time um, for that to happen. Matt was the process to be able to do it. Um, and we've seen, you know, we've seen that happen. And so, oh, again, over the next 12 months, you know, the ability you need to talk about class one, class two will disappear. Again, what people should be focused on is just the net overall availability of nickel units and more looking at, okay, what's available for Western consumers who don't want to buy high carbon Chinese controlled nickel versus high carbon Chinese controlled nickel. It's to me the, the 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 more important market bifurcation going forward. Okay, so it's just a little reminder. You can so we can look back and we can um, look at all the various conversations. I think there's articles off the back of most of those conversations. So you know we sh- we've covered it, guys. We've covered it. Okay. Yep. Now I want to talk about LME Week now and then the significance of it and the importance of it. Um, I mean, you were there. Um, what did you take away from it? Yeah. So I I always like to go because in one week period there you get to talk to producers, consumers, and traders all in the same time period. And even if, you, even if you have good relationship with people, everybody talks their book a little bit. And so with all three groups, you can kind of triangulate where the market's sitting. So, um, you know, as we just talked about, you know, that it was reinforced with the discussions that we're having is yet, you know what, there's a lot of in-process inventory that's not really being accounted for properly in the supply demand. So the nickel surplus isn't as large as it appears. Uh, I would say the big new takeaway, I, I, I'd kind of not, you know, always believe this. And again, why I'm not so worried about Indonesian HPAL capacity ramping up um, because it'll have a far bigger impact on the cobalt market before it has an impact on the nickel market. And the cobalt revenues are an important part of the overall economics of making those uh, HPAL projects work. And so um, the, you know, the, the, again, talking to people during the past week is, you know, A, just how big a surplus there is in the cobalt market already, you've got several large Chinese projects in the Congo coming online that are going to add substantial capacity. Um, and you're going to see, again, all this HPAL growth that we're talking about on the nickel side in Indonesia is also going to deliver a huge amount of, of, of cobalt units into the market. So, you know, I, I really think we'll see single digit cobalt prices, you know, for several years to come. Um, and it'll be interesting to see sort of how that all shakes out going forward because it's almost there's almost no primary production. It's all byproduct production. And so, you know, yeah, the pr- prices can drop a long way before people will actually turn off some of that production. You know, Glencore's already signaled they'll take a few mines offline, um, but the surplus might be might be bigger than Glencore's ability to kind of manage that market. And um, and 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 to suspect, I mean, I. The growth in the United States is going to is going to come from where do you feel it's it's two sources. So, um, you know, a big part of the U.S. Uh, stainless and alloy business is aerospace. You've got you know Boeing there, um, and so uh, and you've got all of the military military uh, you know equipment uh, providers, and you know there are a few wars going on now around the world. So, um, so between the you know basically coming out of COVID and rebound in in ramping up aircraft production again. Uh, obviously, you know, much more spending on, on military going forward. And then uh, the other big driver is onshoring in terms of stuff coming into the U.S. market. It hasn't, it, it started to show up, um, you know, but, but you know, the feeling in the room last week is that, you know, they're going to see more of that coming through, um, you know, into the U.S. market uh, going forward. So, um, you know, again, you know, the, the market needs a little, you know, the U.S. could handle some more melt shop capacity and, and not not sure where it's exactly it's going to come from at this point in time. So, so melt shop is what? 
uh, where you melt stainless steel. So you melt product to make stainless steel. So it's referred to as a melt shop. And, and that, how much of the market is that? Because I don't know how many of those there are. Oh, it's two thirds of the global nickel market. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and, and, they use, and most melt shops in the West use scrap as feed. So there's a lot of nickel units that are coming scrap that we don't even talk about because it's just just scrap that gets recycled. So, and is that kind of is, is that kind of seasonality to that? Because you got to kind of get a build up, get inventory, and then I guess melt it. Um, is is that a seasonal thing? No, 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 no. In the North America and the West, is it goes you know along in in Europe, you have a slowdown in the summertime, um, just with yeah. August, um, but. Generally, no. There's, there's not a, there's a little bit of seasonality, but not tons. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay. Um. Well, like we better talk about a little bit of company use. Um. We'll start off with Nickel Industries. Um. They've been acquisitive recently, haven't they? Yes. Yeah, so, um. So again, Nickel Industries is an Aussie listed company. Um. It effectively gives you public market exposure to what Ching Chan's going on. Um. They, uh, they operate. They have. Well, sorry. Don't they operate? They have projects that are basically built and operated uh, by Ching Shan. Uh, which they they have an ownership interest in, um, and so the latest one in their portfolio is buying fifty five percent of the Excelsior Nickel project, which is an HPAL project. Um, they're going to target low carbon footprint um, to make most HPAL operations burn sulfur to make the ass sulfuric acid that they need, um, and that does that does contribute to some of the power requirement. And they're also putting it in a two hundred megawatt solar farm to help at uh, you know help um, help. Uh, reduce the carbon footprint further of the power they need. Uh, again, HPAL is much less power intensive than than NPI and MAT. Um, so, you know, th- they should be able to get towards a uh, relatively lower uh, footprint. It's 72,000 tons. The other unique part about it, again, they're going downstream into being able to make either mixed hydroxide, which is your typical HPAL project, nickel sulfate um, by taking that MHP one step further, and then nickel cathode as well as all part of that uh, project so they can it'll be the first project that can produce all three of those prod, uh, products uh, out of a single facility. Uh, the thing that's great about Nickel Industries is it does you know it's really the only public market view into what the you know operating costs are for Chingshan's operations uh, and similar operations in Indonesia it gives you a view on ore grades because they operate some mines as well that feed some of their plants and now we'll have a similar public market view on the HPAL operations that are there so. Um, you know, good for them to keep going. I, I wish I had come up with with that idea because it's it'd be great to have Ching Shan build and operate things for you, and then you know you get to be CEO and make lots of money. So it's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Always thinking ahead. Um, yeah. Well, HPL is getting quite topical at the moment. Obviously, we spoke last week about horizontal minerals, um, trails, and travails. I should say, um, you know, with 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 with, with HPL, um, it is complex. I guess Ching Shan are they. The, the experts. So uh, other company news, SPC Nickel. Yep. So we've talked about them before. Uh, again, they did a great job pulling the other half a depo- of a deposit that they own. Um, the other half was owned by Valley, um, consolidated. And so they just completed uh, the second phase of drilling another 8,800 meters across 40 holes. Um, you know, they, the interesting piece here is this is one of the few open pitable depo- nickel deposits globally where you can ship to a mill. They've got two mills in the region. I think they have to ship it to the Valet Mill as part of the deal, but I, I'm not sure. Um, so uh, again, very, you know, they got pretty solid results all the way through the program. So it'll be good to see, you know, how that resource shapes up. You know, it's just trading very, very cheaply. So if you want a, you know, a good call option on nickel, um, something to take a look at too. And again, run by a good, very good exploration team. 
the other thing, uh, other news is was in our neighborhood, uh, Aston Minerals um, have had multiple drill holes released just after we last talked a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and again, they've got a second target within the structures uh, that hosted their first deposit. Uh, and again, getting Crawford-like grades um, at this, what they call their B2 prospect. Um, and extended, you know, the strike length there by 500 meters. Good thing is that that stock has sold off uh, over the last couple of months, uh, you know, <laughs> with the, you know, in, in line with the rest of the way the other nickel stocks have traded. Um, and you've seen the good thing is there you've seen some some of the insiders, founders, you know, adding to their position uh, right now, which is which is great. So all good. And, uh, and last but not least, um, you obviously put out a feasibility study last week. And has that been received? Yeah, it was a big week for us last week. You know, um, yeah, very happy with the results. Uh, it, we talked um, just on the Canada nickel. So, you know, two and a half billion NPV, 17% IRR, pops up to over 18% when you include the carbon and tax, carbon capture and tax credits and storage tax credits that we expect. Um, second largest nickel reserve now, second largest resource, according to the Woodmac data. Uh, it's a 41 year project life. You know, we'll be the only uh, chromium producer uh, in North America. Um, you know, and we look at the metrics, you know, we'll have almost 50,000 tons of nickel over a 27 year peak period. Uh, during that time frame, you know, over half a billion dollars per year of free cash flow and $800 million EBITDA. So, again, that kind of scale asset that, you know, the majors would want to look for. And on the carbon capture and storage side, we were targeting a million tons. We actually were able to, to show that we could uh, store one and a half million tons of CO2 per year, which would make us one of the largest carbon storage facilities in North America. You know, net net, when you look at the, our footprint, which on a gross uh, CO2 per ton of nickel would be about five, net equivalent would be just over three. Um, you know, we'll have a, a net negative footprint of about 30 tons of CO2 per ton of nickel, you know, in terms of, of making that happen. So analyst reports have, have all been 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 very positive. You know, investor feedbacks were great. Again, this is a horrible market. Um, you know, any, uh, you know, we're, we're in one of those markets right now where, you know, basically any news creates any liquidity, you know, creates a selling opportunity for, you know, people to sell into. So, you know, we've had a bit of that, but, you know, we're, you know, the feedback's been good. We'll be out marketing over the next few weeks and, you know, we're on track to get one of those offtake agreements in place by year end, you know, which we, you know, we think will transform the story. Well, well tell me why that transformed transforms the story you know what was an offtake agreement going to do for you well again the way we're structuring it is it's basically you know it's not people have signed offtake agreements but there's no cash and not very few strings attached to it you know this one you know the way we structured it with the groups we're, we're talking to is they have to write a check on signing um, and they have to write an even bigger check on a construction decision and so you know what what it does is a lot of again a lot of north american investors are not familiar with nickel and you know sort of the, the quick dirty is oh you know, I want to look at nickel. I look, Indonesia is going to flood the market. Why do I need to own anything in nickel? And so they just, you know, go back. You know, when you see, you know, one of the battery supply chain step up and say, we are going to put money in a project in North America because we want to see that nickel come to market. You know, I think that then allows, makes it easier for a lot of investors, fund managers who've been on the sidelines, you know, to, to finally start to get into the story, you know, and, and you know, I think, you know, we re-rate it pretty dramatically. Uh, is is what we're hoping at that point. So right, okay. So they'll 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 come in with money, having done diligence, not just on you, but what their expectations are uh, around supply into the market. That so they, I mean, no one's going to throw tens of millions of bucks around casually. But uh, again, how, how much work um, and what type of strategic 
would be ideal for a company like you? And more importantly, I guess, is in terms of the, the type of strategic um, will to determine how how people perceive um, your ability to actually deliver against that. Because, you know, there's, there's smart money and there's dumb money. There's, you know, people who put money in something with an expectation it will go well without knowing too much. A strategic industry partner is important to you because, again, just just tell me yeah. what it is that that, that they've done to that, at that up until that point. Yeah, because one again, these these are conversations that have happened over you know a two year period. So you know, number one, you know, it's it's a, it's it's the battery supply chain. Say say we need nickel projects in North America, and we're writing we're ready to write checks to make that happen. Number one, number two is um you know in terms of the amount of nickel that, that they, they need you know against signals to the market uh you know as i've said other people that we've talked to said they're going to need more nickel in 2030 than the the united states consumes in total today which again i don't think people really understand you know just how much nickel is going to be required in north america and europe um, to build all the evs that we want to build number two you know, having a battery supply chain partner allows us, you know, to go to the various government levels, whether it's federal, provincial, you know, and the U.S. You know, we as Canada Nickel, you know, will be eligible for a range of programs. Us as Canada Nickel with battery supply supply chain partner, who's just invested five billion dollars in building a cathode plant, battery plant, precursor plant, or you know, or retooling a car plant. Um, is is will be a much stronger thing to get as as much of the government you know funding packages that we've seen in Canada for some of the other battery supply chain things. So um, you know it it's it's helpful on multiple fronts and and again we'll be working with them you know to be able to to focus on the downstream conversion into products that they need because again in addition to just the mining we also need the downstream conversion to be able to to, to make materials that can get into the battery supply chain. Um, and and uh, the stainless steel market. Okay, so I mean, so the great they've done a lot of work on you in terms of the diligence, etc. But but I want to talk to you about some things that are being talked about on the on the, on the boards and social media, which is around your recovery rates. Um, we talked last week about you know hitting forty one percent, but you know we've seen various numbers. Um, what where are we? Where are you with that? And why do the numbers change? Yeah, so the you know the key piece here with these deposits, you know, they're always sort of between forty and fifty percent life of mine. Uh, we were targeting, we said it very clearly in our investor presentations, we we're targeting a four to five percentage point improvement from the PEA to the feasibility study. Um, you know, the uh, some people we put up, we put out one of our first local cycle tests about two years ago. Uh, we were at that point, you know, still thought we might start on a, on a smaller scale at 42,000 tons. We've increased that that rate. And for us to start mining, we've actually had to, to mine in an area to be able to get materials to help build the plant that isn't necessarily the highest grade material. So, you know, you know what we processed through there was a higher grade sample than, you know, where we ended up. The key thing to focus is on in on that same release, we said we made a 19 percentage point improvement in terms of the flow sheet that we're using in the feasibility study versus what we used in the PEA. We put a table in the feasibility study release and we specifically did this to highlight to people so we processed 900 million tons in the in the PEA. We got uh, 37% recovery. We processed in first phase one and two, it's over a billion tons, so, so more tons at about the same grade as we had in the PEA. And we got 46%. So we had a 23% improvement, which was better than we had talked about in the 19%. The other piece is there's, there's been some talk about you know pilot plant recoveries and, and why haven't we, why didn't we put up, we talked about the iron and chrome, but we didn't talk about the nickel. Again, it's this fixation on a single number. 
we we picked pilot plant samples because we needed to produce lots of concentrate to be able to do um, you know to be to be able to do some downstream process testing that we wanted to do. They're not represent you know they are representative of the different ore types because we needed to confirm that we could process the different ore types. We achieved what we wanted to do uh, on that, but you know if we publish the numbers, you know people again would read through and say, oh you know the kind of thing that people have lashed on to sixty two. If we put those numbers on a pilot plant. Uh, you know, people would get um, sort of misconstrue it. All of the data from the open cycle tests, all of the data from the log cycle tests, all of the data in the pilot plant, all got incorporated into a set of recovery equations. Again, we need to do that because the recovery across the ore body varies from 20 to 60%. We talked about that in some of the early news releases uh, on this project. We work with Asenko, who in terms of mineral processing, uh, you know, are, are one of the world's best companies on that. They're going to be signing off on all that. So, Again, any concerns, you know, nervousness about recovery and so forth is is just absolute nonsense. So, you know, uh, I just want to put a nail in that um, and allay any people's fears, you know, on that front. We were very happy with with the you know the four percent overall. You know, very happy that we got nine percentage points more, twenty three percent more across the first billion tons. But again, when you make recovery improvements, guess what? Stuff that maybe was only fifteen percent recovery and didn't make cutoff last time. Now we're mining that low grade material, you know, towards the end of the mine life, and it's bringing it's bringing the overall average down to forty one percent. So that's the okay. Understood. 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 Okay. Well, I, I, hopefully that addresses some some concerns or some inqu- some inquisitive minds. Uh, we'll learn something from that. Mark, appreciate it. Um, you're you're obviously over there in Orlando, um, heading into that conference. Um, again, is it pretty much like LME, but the the North American version? Uh, not so much LME. Very focused. LME is basically a whole range of, of various metals. This is a ferro alloys conference, so it's right, all about okay. stainless steel alloys uh, and high nickel alloys and and various alloying alloys of different shapes and forms. So, well, I I, I hope you're excited. I am not actually. Sure. I would understand what I, the heck was going I, on there. Yeah, sadly, I am. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> go have some fun. Uh, good luck with that. We'll see you next week. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Bye.